We've been talking about having a right concept of God. We started last week uh, talking about the holiness of God. I'll review that in just a moment. But I want to uh, read a number of scriptures to you this morning. 2 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 11, Paul writing in Corinthians says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 5.22 says, And the fruit of the Spirit is love. John 4, and, and sorry, 1 John 4 and verse 8. Tony just had a gulp there because I said John and he had 1 John. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. One more in verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We were talking last week about the holiness of God. God is holy. One of the first characteristics that he reveals to man after the fall as he begins a progressive revelation of who he is is that he's holy. Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. Not be holy because I like holiness. Not be holy because holiness makes me happy. Be holy because I am holy. We talked about that last week, what it means. Holy means being different, set apart. Be holy because I am different, says God. Be holy because I am pure. Holy also means pure. Be holy for I am pure, says the Lord. We talked about God dwelling in unapproachable light. He's a consuming fire. So there's this understanding of this image of this awesome God who is different than we are. He's not like us at all. He's different. He's pure. The Bible calls that holy. We can't lose that. But I want to say this. If we separate God into individual characteristics, if we say I'm going to focus on this characteristic or this characteristic or this characteristic, we can easily get a wrong concept of God. Hopefully you're going to see that by the end of today. If you haven't, then I failed. Let me say this kind of as my legal disclaimer. I'm going to create some questions for you today that I won't have time to answer today. Some of them I will answer. I'll deal with next week. But uh, the limitation of trying to communicate something like the character and the concept of God in a half an hour is uh, pretty close to impossible. 
And so it's going to take us three half an hour. No, it's going to take us a little bit longer. God is holy, but as we just read, he is also love. Now, when we understand God is holy, you've got to have to use your imagination. I was going to try and draw a picture for you, but I figured that you wouldn't be able to see it on a whiteboard up here, so I'm going to act it out. When we have the image of God is holy, we get this big picture of God. God's huge. He's righteous. He's, he's pure. He's just, and we're this little thing, and we fall down before him, as we sang. We bow before him as the angels do when we recognize his holiness. But he's not just holy, he's also loving. Thing is, when we focus on just love, God's approachable. When we focus on holiness, God isn't approachable. He's a consuming fire. But when we focus on love, he's approachable. But the danger then is if we only focus on love, he becomes small. Our image of God becomes this guy who stands next to me. Jesus is my co-pilot. He's my mate who goes to the pub with me. He's approachable, but we lose something of the honor and, and majesty of God if we only focus on love. If we only focus on holiness, we can't come near to God. We have this fear, almost a terror. God is holy. We focus on love and we lose any concept of sin. Sin becomes diminished. It's okay. Our focus gets small. Problem is, when we separate God into individual characteristics, we have a tendency to swing between those characteristics. God's holy. Ah. God's loving. Yeah, I just, you know, sin's okay. God's holy. Church I grew up in, I realized, the reason I'm telling you this is because I realized that I had this when I grew up in it, but for me it was more like pans of a scale. When God's holy, he's not loving. And when he's loving, He's not holy. And so often had this deal that, okay, God's holy. Oh, no. I'm in trouble. God's loving. It's all okay. I don't have to repent of sin. God loves me anyway. You still with me? See, either we have that image or even worse, we pick up something of Babylonian or Greek mythology. The, the mythologies of those cultures had this idea that there were multiple gods and they were often competing with each other. And so there were some gods who just didn't like men. They were angry. 
And there were some gods who were on our side. And those were the ones we need to appease because they would intervene for us with the angry gods. And if the angry gods had control, then we'd face drought and we'd face difficulties. But if the good gods had control, then we'd receive the benefit. And unfortunately, that concept creeps in when we separate God into these individual characteristics that the Father is an angry, grumpy, mean guy who's just waiting for you to get out of line so he can hit you with a stick. But Jesus is the loving thing. Jesus gets between us and this angry God. And so we have this image that becomes faulty. The problem is with that, many people become afraid of God. We have a subconscious terror. If I do something wrong, God will be cross. If I don't do the right thing, I'll pay a consequence. Now that's pretty much what religion is about. Karma. You do the wrong thing, you pay the consequence. And we have this idea, but Jesus, he's the good guy. And so let's just focus on Jesus and ignore this idea of an angry, vengeful God who's upset at us. You still with me? See, the thing is, if we embrace him and who he is and all that he is, we don't end up somewhere in the middle of this idea with a little bit of fear and a little bit of love. We end up with something totally different. We end up with this huge picture of a holy God and the love of God becomes magnified. As big as the picture of his holiness. God doesn't become small to love us. God did not become little to love you. He is still the holy God. His love is beyond your comprehension. Something happens. This huge picture of God, God's huge. Heavens and the highest heavens can't contain him. He's majestic in holiness. He's pure. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth when we see his holiness. But at the same time, we recognize he loves me. He doesn't have to become small. See, what happens is that he took my sin away. That's what the Bible says. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't diminish it. He doesn't pretend it didn't exist. He said, this sin that I have will cause me to not be able to come into his presence without being consumed. So instead of just waving his hand and saying it's, it's okay, he actually took it upon himself 
That's the measure of his love. Colossians 2.14 says, The handwriting against me is blotted out. I wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What that actually means is it doesn't exist anymore. It's been taken away. It wasn't that he just wiped over it and pretend. God doesn't see you through rose-colored glasses and say, oh, I know really you're terrible, but I'm going to pretend that you're not. No, he takes our sin away. And we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the love of God. But then something astonishing happens. All this was lead up to this point. So if you're asleep, wake up now. Just a, uh, a word in case Johan's attempting to uh, live stream something. It, it doesn't, it's a trial run because we're not sure it'll work, but it obviously... It's a trade wreck, okay. <laughs> Problem is with uh, YouTube, there's algorithms that cut out if you use songs that are, are licensed, even though we have a license to use them. You can't get uh, YouTube to recognize that, so maybe it didn't work. We see this huge God, and we see this incredible love, and then something astonishing happens. When we see God as he is, holy, incredibly majestic, glorious, and we recognize the love that he has for us, there's something incredible that happens. Fear is gone. 1 John 4, 18, we read it. There is no fear in love. When we swing back and forth between these different characteristics, we have a little bit of fear, we have a little bit of love, we have a little bit of fear, we have a little bit of love, and we miss it completely. When we embrace those together and we see God for who he is, we see his holiness, and we allow that to cause our image of love to, to rise to be what it really is, fear leaves. Fear turns to wonder and awe and worship. While we can bow, fall on our knees and bow before him in, in terror of his holiness, when we embrace those together, we fall on our knees and worship him in wonder and awe. Fear is gone. Love has, has become greater, perfected, without diminishing who God is, without making God like us. God pours his love upon us. 
How does he do that? We're going to talk about that next week. But let me say this. God is always 100% for us. We hadn't talked about what I was preaching, the word that uh, God spoke to us through Lance about God pouring his love upon us. We're going to get to that in just a moment because that's the culmination of all that God does. When we talk about application, I just want to reiterate something I mentioned last week, but I want to say it a little bit fuller. That application always has two parts. There's truth. There's something about uh, Rome, uh, John 8, 32. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, in Proverbs 4, 7, it says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Romans 12, 2, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's something about truth, but there's also something about impartation. Or God wants to impart something to us. Romans 1, 11, to impart to you some spiritual gift. Uh, Ephesians 4, 29, talking about a word that you share that it may impart grace to the hearers. It's not just educating, it's imparting something. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So there's truth, there's revelation that transforms us, and then there's impartation where God touches us. Why is that important? I mentioned this briefly last week. It's important because if all we have is truth, if all we have is word, and we respond to that, it's easy for us to move into a religion that's just beliefs. I have a belief in the love of God, but I don't have an experience of the love of God. But when we only have impartation, we experience, we have wonderful experiences, but we're never changed because we're transformed by the renewing of our mind because the truth sets us free. So we can't take, well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. But I like this part, but I'm like, no. We have to, again, embrace the whole thing and say, God, bring me an understanding of truth, but then manifest it in my life. We can't partner with God if we have a wrong concept of who he is. If we're afraid that he'll be angry if we get it wrong, we're never going to step out in obedience. Fear handcuffs us, and we don't move in the spirit. What if I get it wrong? I have a uh, two-year-old granddaughter. I have other older granddaughters and grandsons, but our son and his wife were with us over Christmas, and our two-year-old, and 
She's a delight. You're going to hear more about her next week. But uh, last year when she was with us, she was not, well, just about one, and she was just learning to walk. And she'd pull herself up on the, the sofa, and she would turn around, and she was real wobbly, and she would take a step, and then she'd sit down. What do you think we did? Ran over there and kicked her stupid kid. Why don't you walk? <laughs> of course not. We went, yes, a step. She's walking. And we made a big deal, and then she would do it again. And she'd go a little bit farther. And we would celebrate and rejoice. We didn't focus on the fact that after two steps, she fell down. Because sometimes we have an image of God. That if we can't run a marathon the first time we, we get up and start, he's going to be upset. And so we're afraid to do anything. I'm holding on to the sofa. I'm not about to take a step away from this thing. Because what if I fall? You're in a place. And God says, will you pray for that person? Not me. I'm holding on to the sofa. Because what if I get it wrong? What will God do? <laughs> now, unfortunately, that image for some of us has been reinforced with earthly fathers who were angry or who were uh, negative. And that's why we need to not only have an understanding of the love God has for us, but we need to have an experience. So we're going to uh, just spend some time. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're going to end with a song. I don't know which one. T Tim will figure something out. But I want to remind you, uh, last week I had a picture. And I, I shared this, but I didn't share it very well. But the picture I had before last week was of uh, fern trees. And fern trees, you know, have all these fern, fern fronds that, that grow out of the top. And they collect the water, and the water, a fern tree is watered from the top, not the bottom. And I had this picture of God pouring his presence and his anointing and his love upon us as we just lifted our hands before him like fern trees. And there's something of understanding that God's holy, but his love has removed in Christ our sin. And his love is great. He doesn't have to become smaller to love us. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more next week. I don't have time to try and get all this in one week, is what I'm telling you. So if you can't be here next week, then you'll have to just listen to the podcast or something. I'm going to ask you if you would stand. If you can. As we uh, worship, I just am asking the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God 
into us. It's the Holy Spirit who pours the love of God into our hearts. The word was that God loves us. When we understand who he is and when we embrace all of it, we don't lose a sense of his holiness when we experience his love. What happens is that that the love we experience is so much greater. God doesn't have to pretend he loves me. He doesn't look at me through Jesus-colored glasses. Jesus is the good one. God's the bad one. No, there's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is the expression of the love God has. God's whole purpose was to restore us to relationship, and he did it by removing our sin. He didn't gloss over it. He didn't pretend it wasn't important. He didn't diminish it. He didn't say sin because sin will separate us from him. And there will be a time when his glory is revealed, when his holiness will be revealed that will consume what is sinful and corrupt. The Bible talks about about him as a refiner's fire. When we see that, when we see who he is, the Bible says that we then have a fear of the Lord, which is to hate evil. But if that's all we have, then we don't approach him and experience his love. I'm restating this because it's a big concept and I'm not sure that I've communicated it as well as I would like to. And I know that there's a big part of it that I've relayed to next week. But let's leave it with this. God wants to pour his love into your heart. Irregardless of what you've done, irregardless of your weak, if you are in Christ, you are righteous. And you're not outside. Nothing you do can remove, remove you from his love and his presence. And it's not just a theological concept. He actually wants to pour his love in us. So as we sing this, what are we singing? Behold him. As we sing that, I'm going to invite you, just as a symbol of that fern tree, if you're able to, if you just lift your hands and say, God, will you pour into me? Will you pour? As we sing this, and just allow him to pour his love without him becoming less than he is. The God of the universe, this holy, righteous God loves me. That's incredible.